Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Many times it's said that the church-going person, the person who's coming for worship, is looking and seeking to find themselves in the readings that are read from the scriptures, from the Bible. Well, in the gospel text today, you don't have a lot of options. Uh, if you exercise that, that thought or that notion that you uh, need to find yourself in the, in the text, well, you could uh, look at the, our characters today from uh, the gospel and find a short list. Uh, you could say Jesus, but that wouldn't be very humble of you. You could maybe go with the demon-possessed man, but that means that you're crazy. You could maybe find yourself in the townsfolk, but it seems that nobody likes a mob of their sort. Well, joking aside, it's not such a terrible thing to want to see yourself in God's word, to see how God's word applies to you, so don't misunderstand, but I would tell you that it's better served, your time is better served finding Jesus in the gospel than looking to find yourself. Now that would only be good advice if it weren't so important to what we heard today in the gospel reading. You see, Jesus sails to the country of the Gerasenes, and St. Luke records that this place is opposite Galilee. Now he's referring to it being opposite, meaning locationally opposite. But it's safe to say that the Galileans and the Gerasenes are also opposite kind of people. The Galilean ministry was one thing, but here we find Jesus speaking to the Gentiles. Christ's little excursion to the non-Jewish people is, of course, a signal first to the disciples, then to the Jews, and finally to us, that the gospel is rightly a message for all people. Well, this wasn't always so obvious. It wasn't so obvious, and, and Jesus, in fact, has plenty of encounters uh, to prove the unwillingness of a people to hear what he has to say. Really, in 2,000 years, the human condition hasn't gotten any better. Since Jesus' time on earth, we've never evolved. We are still trying to find ourselves, and Jesus is still trying to put into our ears words that change our hearts. But there is one thing. Knowing this makes it easier for us to understand something very great. That Jesus doesn't mind going to strange and stubborn people. <laughs> and for us, this is good news. His willingness to go to the Gentiles on the other side of the lake could be lost upon us, but for a little context. Looking at the fuller account of this journey, you will find that our text today actually picks up after Jesus had calmed the raging waves that had sought, that had sought to swallow up their sailboat. And this near-death encounter prepares the disciples 
who marveled over Jesus' rebuke of the storm, to see even in the land of the Gentiles that this Jesus has command over more than the natural world, but also over demons from out of this world. And more than this, more than this, the extent to which Jesus will go to save the lost. Well, when they do finally arrive in the country of the Gerasenes, you can imagine that they are no doubt exhausted from their trip. And they land upon the shore, and who do they find immediately but a man from the city who has demons. Not a demon, but demons within him. There's a kind of dirtiness, uncleanliness, to use a religious terminology, about this Gentile region. And what the disciples see is confirmation, or so they think, of what they already know about the Gentiles, a dirty people, an unclean people, a land full of demons. And right before them is a naked man, unable to be bridled by any chain. And he is the emblem of this Gentile nation. His appearance is deplorable. He has no clothes, no home, and at the mercy of those who only have forsaken him. Wait a minute. Doesn't this all sound somewhat familiar? No clothes, no home. And a man at the mercy of those who had only forsaken him? A man stripped of his clothes. A man shown no mercy but lives among the tombs. Isn't it perfect for Jesus to meet the earthly portrait of his own death and resurrection? And at the same time, at the same time, this man is also a perfect portrait of our human condition apart from God. Here is a man whose identity was robbed from him, a man whose human condition resembles our life without Jesus and when left to our sins and without our Savior. But this man also gives credence to what Jesus is doing to save sinners but cannot be seen with the naked eye. That is, The visual effect of the demon-possessed man matches the horrific reality that Jesus bore all our sins, all of our iniquities to himself. And more than this, more than this was crucified with those demonic sins by the piercing of those nails into his flesh and the shedding of his blood for our salvation. All as he is naked, all as mercy is withheld from him, all for the outcome that he would lay silent among the tombs. St. Peter's epistle records, Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. With Jesus, the demon-possessed man finds a foretaste of the resurrection, a joy among the tombs, that the death and hell he had been living has been cast out. And so it is, as we Christians say, 
as it is for Jesus, it is for me. If this man is made clean, clothed not only for our visual sake, but his soul also, why not also me? Since Jesus is risen from the dead and his tomb could not hold him, so also do I live and death cannot hold me. In this way, we do find ourselves in the gospel today, finding that we are like the crazy, demon-possessed man. Jesus found him and set him free. Are you free? What the disciples witnessed, and we are witnesses to, is that Jesus interacts with us in an unexpected way. The very fact that the man possessed by demons broke every attempt to contain him tells us that even when we may think we freed ourselves from sin, we are still under sin's possession. It is only, it is only until Christ breaches our fortified defenses like a D-Day invasion of the soul that we cannot help but be occupied by an evil stronghold and a legion of hell's fury. Now the way that Jesus accomplishes the man's conversion is peculiar to us. A testament to the unsearchable ways of God. It's a far cry from the illustrations of Jesus with a lamb upon his shoulders. Jesus depicted as the good shepherd who leaves the flock of the 99 to save the one gone astray. No, in the country of the Gerasenes, Jesus is a judge. And he shows mercy to the man and casts the demons into the whole herd of pigs who dive into the lake and to their deaths. The man possessed by a legion of demons had an unredeemable quality about him. The man possessed by demons which filled his mortal flesh had no redeemable quality about him. But Jesus in mercy rebukes the unholy horde of demons to come out of him. The point being but to have any identifiable worth is to be found by Jesus and exercised of Satan's grasp over us. The man was healed from his demon possession, clothed and in his right mind. The way in which the Gentiles were once viewed is now in Jesus a people for whom the promises of God also belong. The disciples are now forced to see, to see the Gentiles as ones for whom Christ has died or will die for. They are forced to see them in an entirely different light for Christ has come to their shores and is their light the light of salvation. Now don't you feel left out. <laughs> you also are a people for whom the promises of God also belong. But there is a fearfulness that pairs 
with the fearfulness of the Gerasenes who came out to see Jesus and the man whom they formerly had so much trouble with. They are seized with great fear, and so they seek to send Jesus away. And isn't that the truth in our world today? In this world, the expectation that people who hear the gospel will accept God's normal is not always true. Many, too many, are more comfortable with the naked, demon-possessed man than the man with sound mind, clothed and sitting at the feet of Jesus. If you don't believe me, just go and ask anyone whose conversion altered their entire way of living and interacting with friends and family, and they can tell you. Some will welcome your new life in Christ. Others, even if they didn't like you much before, will now wish you'd never changed. For some, it's too much. Just like those in the country of the Gerasenes who saw the man healed by Jesus, and it was just too much. When we have lost sight that sin has turned everything upside down, anything right side up makes our heads spin. So my encouragement to you is to be found in Jesus. Be so found in Jesus that by going out in the upside down world, you would seek to live like the formerly possessed man for he was sent not to join Jesus but sent home to tell his fellow countrymen how much God had done for him to proclaim throughout your dormitories and domiciles how much Jesus has done for you There's a little saying that says the law of God says do this and it is never done. The grace of God says believe in this and everything is already done. Friends, how much has Jesus done for you? Everything. Jesus has done everything for you. Jesus has already prepared the words which you will share. Everything by water and the word has been given to you. You are clothed in righteousness, given the sound mind of Christ, and have your home with God. Trust in Jesus. His resurrection has truly disarmed the forces of sin, death, and even Satan. And so with that, I'll end with a few words from a hymn whose stanzas beautifully summarize how much Jesus has done for you. The powers of death have done their worst, but Christ their legions hath dispersed. Let shouts of holy joy outburst. Alleluia. He broke the age-bound chains of hell. The bars from heaven's high portals fell. Let hymns of praise his triumph tell. Alleluia. Lord, by the stripes which wounded thee, from death's dread sting thy servants free, that we may live and sing to thee. Alleluia. Alleluia. And Amen.